here we are today with another episode of Human Becomings where my co-host Annalie Sapansky and another brilliant, brilliant human that I kind of stalked and then met, <laughs> Adam Posner. Welcome to Human Becomings. Well, thanks for having me on. I don't mind. I don't mind intentional, mindful stalking. Right, stalking has to be done the right way with the right intentions. And in the as a business world, there there are certain types of of stalking that are acceptable. And in this case, all good. <laughs> Until you see Mila outside your house, <laughs> yes. standing in a microphone. Like, no, I will not do that. <laughs> okay. not. She hasn't done it to me, so I don't. <laughs> a pleasure to be on. Fantastic. So when I first met you, Adam, it was in New York. It was uh, at Gary Vaitner's uh, company, Vaitner Media. And I didn't know, something about you kind of like attracted me to you um, in a very humanistic way, right? So people listening out there, don't take it the wrong way. Uh, something about you, your energy kind of like just drew me to you and we started speaking and you shared your story a little bit. Likewise. And we connected over a phone call when I got back from New York into DC. But to start with the conversation, I want to hear a little bit about who is Adam? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a broad question. Um, I am a father, a husband, uh, a friend. Um, those are all things that I think I do exceptionally well. And then, you know, to put food on the table for my kids, I'm a recruiter. I recruit in the digital marketing world, everything in advertising and media. Um, and ultimately, I'm a connector. I mean, that is my superpower. That is what I do. What I think I do best is I connect the dots, both professionally and personally. Um, I see backgrounds and skills and things in people. And I'm like, these two people, this company and these people need to connect. And, and that's what I do best. And I make a living off it. I like that you share yeah, your connector. And I like, absolutely love how you share you, that you are many, right? You're many, you know, a friend, a husband, you provide food for your family. And this was a totally different approach. <laughs> Usually when you ask people, who, who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. They start with, I'm the VP of a company. I am this, I'm that. But you went straight to who you are as a core person. And that's what I absolutely love about you. And I want to hear a little bit about, you know, we had this conversation over the phone a little bit about uh, your story, your background, you know, how you were part of Media, And we spoke a little bit about shame, but can you tell us about, you know, your journey with VaynerMedia and yeah. how you accepted that journey and transitioned into where you are today. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And just to bring your listeners up to speed real quick on my story, I uh, born and raised a New Yorker and I spent 15 years, like I always knew when I was in college that I was going to get into some kind of marketing or advertising and that's what I did. To make a long story short, you know, I spent 15 years working in advertising and marketing. I worked at different ad agencies. I worked client side at American Express and Sirius XM. So I had a really strong um, marketing fundamental background, uh, client relationships, agency management. Um, and about five and a half years ago, I found myself over at VaynerMedia, which for me, I thought was, you know, the, the, the top, the top of the top. I made it. This is where I was going to plant my, my roots. This is where I was going to be for a number of years. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, when I, when I first joined the agency, I wasn't 
really set up for success. It wasn't an account that I was put on immediately. Um, and I didn't do a good job of really adjusting to that. At the same time, I had some other things going on in my life. I had some personal things. We, we just bought a house. I was dealing with that stress and some other things. And all these kind of factors combined, and I wasn't my best self. I wasn't the best version of myself. I wasn't the best. I wasn't doing what they hired me for. Um, and unfortunately, seven months in, I lost my job. It was not the right time and place for me. Um, and it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. There was, um, there was a period of time when there was a lot of uncertainty. But as I left VaynerMedia, and I've told you this story, and I told it to others, that day when, when, when I lost my job, Gary came into the room. And Gary and I have a pretty good relationship. And he said, you know, at this stage of your life, because I said to him, I was crying, my head is in my hands, I knew that I failed. I was like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna tell people, right? That, that, that shame of getting fired. And he looked at me and he said, at this stage of your life, you have to stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. And that's what I did, I took it to heart. Even, even during the dark times of figuring out the next step of my journey, I kept repeating that. I go, what am I good at? What do I love to do? And that's what took me into the world of recruiting. <clears throat> I love that you shared this vulnerable side of you. Not a lot of people will be willing to share that they got let go or fired, right? Because that brings, that lies a lot of shame. In this yeah. And, it, and, and, and what's interesting about it too is I, I didn't tell, like aside from you know, my wife and a couple of close friends, I told people that I left. I told people that it wasn't working out. I mean, it took me publicly it was only like within the last year through my journey and my podcast and being guests on other ones when i said you know what screw it like this is my story this happened this happened to so many other people like it's not something to be ashamed about like yes it hurts right but it's really about like self-awareness and understanding there's multiple reasons why people get let go there's there's the things that are not your fault which are downsizing uh, mergers there's things that are out of your control company closes they lose money and then there's times when people get fired for performance and you know what like I owned up to that. I did not do my best. Does that mean I, I suck at that or I wasn't good? You know, I am good. I mean, I, did, I was pretty successful for 15 years, but at that moment of time where I was with that organization, I just wasn't my best and I got let go due to performance. And I think that's really hard for people to say because there's a stigma related to it. And there certainly is a shame. And I'll be honest, like I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I disappointed myself. I disappointed my wife and, you know, the people that believed in me. And that was really tough and, and depressing. You spoke about you know the stigma around it, the stigma around shame, uh, and and it, it it's it's so great that you were able to to become self aware, right? Most people, what they would do is that the minute that they know that they're getting fired, it's too much of shame, and then they go down this rabbit hole. Well, I don't know how a rabbit hole looks like, but a deep hole where uh, where they manifest or they take it personally. Uh, about what shame is and Anneli and I were talking about this you know we were prepping um, you know uh, how can we talk about shame with you um, but I one of the the recurring questions that Anneli and I were getting at is when is shame a good thing uh, you know or or is it ever good or beneficial and how can we shift that shame into um I don't know what's the opposite of shame. Uh, confidence. It's yeah. It's it's yeah. Just being proud, and I and I think it's when you, I think it's a combination of taking that shame, and morphing it into vulnerability, and taking that vulnerability and turning that into a positive. 
right? Being able to take that awful, shitty down point in your life and putting a spin on it. And ultimately, you hit on this before, it comes down to self-awareness. Being okay with saying it, being okay with saying, this is my story. You know, this happened. And self-awareness is something that, you know, I've always had in my, in my life, my career, but it didn't always shine or come through. Like I always had it inside. And I think so many of us do. Um, but it's about how that manifests and how that, you know, rises to the top and to the surface when needed. And I think that self-awareness really lends you to open the door of vulnerability and accept shame and turn that shame into a positive. I love what you said about you know shift oh, having that opportunity right having that door open, and let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about self awareness. Yeah. Um, in in a position where you were in a position where you, you mentioned that you were not in a good space, right? And that's what it led to not be, being able to perform. But in the space of of even um, not darkness, but being overwhelmed and being in a very viscous situation, how how do you even recognize? Because you had you had the awareness to recognize. Yes, I didn't perform. Um, I, it, it, the onus was on me. So, what kind of advice do you have to share with people? Like, how can we truly recognize that stage, that viscous yeah. situation? Well, I mean, the the first thing I want to talk about. I mean, th- these are traumatic situations, and no one is telling you that you need to, you know be shameful of your shame during that time, right? Like that's a dark period and, and it's supposed to hurt, right? And it's supposed to feel like shit because you fucked up, right? I mean, I fucked up. This was, this was a repercussion of me not doing my best and not course correcting. I had opportunities, you know, to, to fix myself and I did not do it, right? I, I, for whatever reasons, you know, I didn't do it. And, you know, that's the reality of it. Let's have a reality check for a minute, right? This is the real world. People get fired. You fuck up and you lose your job. I mean, that's what it is. Now, the recovery phase, that takes time, right? And you have to get yourself into that mindset. And that mindset does not happen overnight. You know, it took me, you know, a solid, you know, even, even when I launched into recruiting, you know, which was like five or six months afterwards, um, I still had that stigma. I still had that monkey on my back, right? Like the performance thing, but I actually used it as a positive because I said, this is a fresh start. I have an opportunity to start a new job, a new career without any of that baggage behind me, without any of that shit, without any of that stigma. I have a new job. I'm going to start fresh and I'm going to put everything I have into it and put the past behind me. And that's what I did. And it was really that moment where it was such a shitty situation. It was ending a 15 year career. A lot of things weren't going great in that career. And there's a lot of bumps in the road. And I had this opportunity now at the age of 35 to have a fresh start. And I took full advantage of it. And that's what I'm doing right now. It's beautiful to see, you know, how you just shifted that, uh, dark, I call it the darkness. It was, it was a dark period of my life. Definitely. Right. The age of 35 was a, it was a tough year. And now you, you shout that now you're in the recruiting business where, you know, you connect people. I'm curious to learn as a recruiter, right? A lot of people from, from what I hear, I hate recruiters. <laughs> I hear bad rap. They, they get a bad rap because it's a yeah. shitty recruiters, yeah. So, I, and I was talking to a few people recently where they asked, um, I, I, I was asking them, why do you hate recruiters? And, and uh, some of them shout, shout that, oh, they're just like numbers. They just yeah. look at you as a number. But I want to flip this whole script, right? Um, I know Anli was job hunting. (laughs) 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 And I want to flip the script. Like, 
as a recruiter, what are some of the struggles that you undergo? And now you're on the other side of the platform, right? You were on, yeah. you were on the other side, like as, I'm, in, as, I'm inside. Yeah, I'm on the inside. <laughs> right. So what does it look like from your lens? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting too, because let, let's break it down into, well, first and foremost, I think it's important to talk about in recruiting, what, like what I do. So I work, predominantly I work in-house, right? I'm a consultant. Companies hire me as an extension of their internal hiring team. I still do contingency recruiting, which everyone you know considers like recruiting, where I get fee-based, but I don't do much of that anymore. Like companies really find value in having someone like me represent them in their brand. And it's, it's just much more efficient and intimate in the way I like to operate. But important to talk about a couple things. Um, one, I think everyone needs to kind of know that recruiters work for the company, right? The company hires me. I am there. They are my client, right? So I'm looking out for their best interest because they're the ones that are paying me. So finding the balance between, you know, they're, they're the ones paying me and then also doing right by candidates. And I think that's why a lot of recruiters get into trouble or they're bad recruiters is because that's a really tough balance, right? Because my approach to candidates is empathetic. And that comes from my background and my life experiences of, of getting let go, of having hired people, of having fired people, have been you know part of downsizing, right? Having been part of reorganizations, right? I've been there before. I've been in their shoes, right? I, I understand what it's like to be out of a job. I understand what it's like to be in a job and not liking it and trying to find another job so I can relate to all of them. And I think it's really bringing that empathy to the table. And people throw around that word empathy all the time. But really, my empathy is based on my experiences and really ensuring that I give every candidate the benefit of the doubt, right? And that means understanding why they might be out of a job or if they're in a job, why they're looking for another one. That's how you separate yourself and make yourself a good recruiter. I want to hear from Annalise's perspective. Yeah. yeah well, because I had kind of, a, you know, you're talking about a lot of things and I'm talking about like thinking about going back a little bit, like the recovery period. And you're talking about how you have like this stigma do you like kind of let yourself wallow in the sadness for a little bit to kind of you know because i kind of think because i think that we think about like this optimal like right. recovery period do you let yourself be sad do you let you eat like a ton of ice cream you know like things like that where yeah, we for, are like really sometimes i find like i'll dwell in the sadness a little bit so i can really do something yeah, I mean, I don't, that's a great question. I don't think I put a time frame on it. I think it's just a, the, the natural progression of life and events, too. Um, and that was tough for me because I had some really dark thoughts, right? I mean, I wouldn't call them suicidal, but, you know, they were really dark thoughts about questioning my self-worth and my purpose and my why and what I'm doing. Um, and I really needed to hit that rock bottom to know what that was like, to know that I don't want to go back to that fucking place ever again. And that is part of my North Star. Like I always talk about my North Star, my kids, my family. You know, these initials on my hat, the company that I'm named after, these are my daughter's initials. That's why I named my company after Nina Harrison Posner. So I know to look at that North Star all the time and know why I'm doing what I do. But that dark time is, is that reminder. I do not ever want to go back to that. And I think for everybody, it's different. Um, and you have to have that tenacity in you to pull yourself up and not wallow from it. I mean, I have, I have a good friend um, who let that get the best of and he's never recovered from that. And it's sad, but like each person is different and you know, you gotta just dig down inside and, and make shit happen. You just gotta take ownership of your, of your life and your career. No one's going to do it for you. No, no, you really do have to like, kind of, you know, do everything on your own. And I think like, that's kind of the scariest part to me is like being self-aware. You know, like, where it's are hard. my shortcomings? Like, what did I do? And, you know, because I think that we're so used to being like, 
I'm the, you know, I'm good at this. This is what I'm good at. This is what people know me for. Cause I find it hard to like, kind of differentiate, like, who am I really disappointing? Am I disappointing myself or am I disappointing other people? Or am I like, you know, other people's impression or like view of me, like what actually matters here. And I think a lot of people, yeah. Cause I'm like, you know, I think in, you know, now that I kind of dive deeper, I'm like, wow, I do want the best for myself and like really hard on myself, like the perfectionist aspect. So I think it's yeah, interesting. It's just real talk. I mean, this is real talk. I mean, these are the conversations that need to be had and not buried away, right? And I talk about that with Claude Silver, um, you know, at Boehner, who was, you know, my, my beacon during this time when, you know, we knew the end was coming and she was just being very mindful of my mindset, mm-hmm. right? Because like, she knew I had a family and, and it's tough. And, you know, I just hope more companies can really, you know, take that approach. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Cause I think that we've lost, you know, the personal touch and I think that we get so far removed and we're like, you know what, just keep a distance. So you don't feel sad. Like when you have to let someone go or do things like that, but you do have to be kind of cognizant of people's feelings. It's coming back. Yeah. It's it, talking about feelings and, and Adam, you mentioned a very important thing. Uh, you mentioned that you wish more companies would be cognizant of that, you know, being mindful on you mentioned, mindfulness quite a bit as well uh like i've heard so many people say oh you are lucky to be in this position you're lucky to have this job so uh you know get your shit together it's like but they don't look at things from a very different lens right uh like sometimes you like adam you shout you're not in that mental space or environmental space to perform really well uh it could be variables contributing to it and a lot of companies have adopted, I'm not uh, saying which companies, <laughs> I've experienced it in my past corporate career as well, where people have said, oh, you're lucky to be in this position. You're lucky to have this job. But is it lucky as in like the, the company, I'm paying you, so you listen to me, or lucky in a sense that people, the people who come to you are valuable assets. And as for an asset to shine, we need the environmental situation to be optimal. Whatever that they're going through has got to be uh, made visible, right? Because sometimes the invisible cannot be acknowledged. How can we truly make the invisible visible in a very hardship manner, right? Heartful manner, very humanizing manner. And some people have told me, oh, they can just take, what's that called? Um, a three-month period. What, what do you call it? Sabbatical. Yeah, sabbatical. But what, how many companies really do allow that, right? Yeah. And, and during that sabbatical, what kind of resources are we offering to people to really, okay, let's build your mindset, your awareness, your, for you to pivot and to a strategy, right? Your career strategy as to come back and let's tackle this again. And do you see, I mean, as a recruiter, do you see that being important? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, part, of, it's part of the culture, right? And I always kind of say like, culture in a company is not, you know, beer on tap and ping pong tables and, and summer Fridays. Mm-hmm. Those are all perks, right? Those are not culture. You know, the culture is exactly to your point, like, is it inclusion and, it, and is it really putting humans first and 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 when companies realize that your employees are your most valuable asset and they're lucky to have you there right like changing that dynamic that's what it's all about and you know i i haven't heard firsthand of of companies that have like a real true um 
mental health program to the point you're making, but I, I've seen companies like Vayner, like if someone has a problem, they've kind of changed it um, from the time that I was there five years ago to now where they are, they have those tools. But to Vayner's defense, I mean, the company was very young at the time. It was only a few years old to where it is now where it's matured into a much larger organization with the right people like Claude in play to right. do that. Um, but I think that bigger companies really, the ones that are successful know that their employees come first and they're building programs to ensure that mental health and wellness is, is top of mind and a priority. Instead of just throwing someone out on the street just because they had some shit, they fucked up and some shit's going on in their life. Right. We all have shit going on in our life. Every single right. one of us to some extent. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that you said that about like the perks versus like the actual like culture because I just remember I was job searching and I like got this conditional offer and I remember like going through the process and like thinking I was like so like what is your culture like like describe your company culture and they're like well we go to sports games and like we go out to dinner and like well, do these things and I was like no but like of the culture. What are your like, values? You... Culture is values, right? Like culture is what are the employee values, right? So I'm glad that you said that because I'm like, you I know, because I remember like sitting there and I was just like, oh, all right, oh, perfect. So we were talking, uh, Annalie was talking about, you know, her yeah, the culture, mm -hmm. the culture, right? But to your point though, to your, to your point, um, Annalie, right? Like, but those things are like when they talk about like dinners and sporting events, I mean, that's a team culture. I mean, I like that, but it's just important to call out the difference between perks and, um, and culture. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just glad that you said that because it really that part resonated with me very personally, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah," because I did question that because I'm like, "Wait, these are two different things." <laughs> and you brought a really good highlight, Adam. Uh, five years ago, Baitner was not at that stance, right? And that's what I love about culture: companies adopting culture because culture is never stagnant. Even if you go right. into different countries, communities, tribal. Uh, tribes or cultures, you know, global cultures, everything is evolving. Even the culture in the United States has evolved, um, let it be for the good or for the bad. So, and that's an important factor. If a company is willing to recognize that aspect and say, hey, we didn't have the tools now, we are more mindful, we're evolving right now. And that's what aligns with, you know, the values, the core values. The core value, when I say core value, is how do we really treat humans? How do they want to belong? How do they want to be accepted? And that's really imperative. Right. And to both of your points, uh, like having the ping pong table and going out for lunch and dinner, it's so many times, I, I'm not a huge happy hour person because I right. don't drink, right? Yes, I, I love to eat French fries and nachos, but- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not everyone's a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people say, oh, this is our company culture. This is our team culture. You need to learn the culture. I was in Southeast Asia uh, last year and I went to a company and to, to get acclimated to them to learn more about, hey, this is what I do and I want to learn more about you. And when 5 p.m. came, they brought out this uh, cart of trolley of all alcohol. Our cart. And they yeah. started pouring drinks and they're like, oh, come, come join us. You have to drink and say, sorry, I don't drink. Uh, I get chronic migraines and I fall really sick. And they're like, no, this is our company culture. You need to learn our culture when you're here. I was like, yes, I'm learning I'm here, but I'm not going to drink. And to impose that. I've never seen that. Onto I mean, was that, a, was that a Southeast Asia kind of thing? I mean, that would, I, that would rarely happen. <clears> like, there's, yeah. like, there's like bro culture, like frat culture in a lot of companies where like you're encouraging it. That even goes back to old school business meetings, right? I mean, I go to plenty oh, yes. of business 
I've done a lot of business over drinks too, but I've also learned also the hard way that drinking too much, you, you get a little loose in the lips, right? And, and you have to be mindful of it. So one of the things that I do at these events is um, I'll either won't drink to your point or I'll, I'll have water or like a soda or something every other drink, right? right? So you're still drinking or you nurse it. So, mm -hmm. but to your point, like, I mean, to force like that kind of right. culture, like that's not right. No, no, no. And it wasn't normally because I was over there. Like, I had a lot of business meetings, but there's one culture, right? But that's another side of the coin, right? One culture does that. And then we tend to like think, oh, every, everyone does that. But again, what I'm trying to bring up is some companies do that because that's what they like, like the bro culture or... right like the sister culture is that even a sister culture i do not know but <laughs> like drinking yeah. and playing table right. tennis like like you mentioned it's a perk but perks are related to what someone wants to do after work uh, like only you said oh we all go uh <laughs> get together after work but the culture is truly about battling people like making a positive impact right mm -hmm. and in in terms of positive impact and i know that you are creating your special culture with your space adam so what are some core values that you believe in that you know erases shame erases uh stigma in your space yeah i mean it's it's uh, you know people throw around radical candor and i i believe in being open with people um you know radical to an extent right i think that's important too um but it's really about communication and that's another word that gets thrown around a lot but something that i learned that i apply to everything is the golden rule of managing expectations right managing expectations of your employees your clients your candidates um and that's the value the value is open communication feedback loops right i mean these are the pieces that i believe in because once you start having that open communication and feedback loop i mean that's going to define your values people will value you for being open and openness is a value like we value openness we value communication my little spin on that something that stood up to me and i'm really passionate about the feedback value right let's talk about feedback and mm -hmm. for the past one week i've been speaking with a lot of uh, c-suite level mm -hmm. um, leadership and they have been throwing around feedback is important and you, you know, you're lucky to have feedback and let's, I want to deep dive a little bit into feedback. Is feedback one way or is it, fee is it two way? Because feedback is about perception, perspective, mm -hmm. and also about words into execution, execution into results. If results are not optimal or, or optimal, if, especially when it's not optimal, how can we prevent? So I want to hear your thoughts. Is it two way or is it one way? No, feedback needs to be 360. It needs to go in all directions because sometimes people do not get good feedback, right? And a company culture, going back to something you spoke about earlier, is having an open environment where if, if, if you reported to me and we're doing an annual review or I'm, I'm talking about your performance and say I didn't give it in a good way, Say I wasn't thorough enough, say I wasn't actionable, say I was being an asshole, say I was being a dick with my feedback, or I was being condescending. Have an environment where you could say, Adam, you know, I really appreciate that feedback, but if you could give me a little bit more detail on how I can improve, right? Because if you create a culture where it's just, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna take that feedback and you're gonna keep your mouth shut, like what, this is 2020, like that shit doesn't fly anymore. Um, you really have to create that openness where it's a converse, a two-way conversation. Um, and Claude Silver talked about it a lot on, on my show, it's the art of giving feedback, 
Um, because, and the art of giving feedback is taught to managers. Because a lot of managers have not gone through any type of training, formal, informal, where they really learn how to give feedback, constructive criticism, radical candor. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be infused more um, at the baseline of creating company culture, right? Feedback is part of it, absolutely. I, I think that. it's also too, when I think of feedback and like, you know, you see it in like so many different type of ways. And I don't know if you've experienced this as well, like where I see like, and it's just like anything when you do any type of survey data is like just how you actually create the questions. Like, are you creating questions that get like, get you real feedback? Or are you creating questions that can like soften the blow a little bit and yeah. like not directly ask like what you really need to know? So I think that's really fascinating too, is just like, are we really being honest? Are we ready to have like a really raw feedback? Like very true. You know, hearing about ourselves and like the potential ugliness or the potential greatness that we also have. Yeah, I mean, that's the part too, because some people like, you know, as a manager, you got to learn to give real feedback. And some people are maybe scared to do that. Like, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, Mila, I'm going to tell you the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'm telling you this, because I want you to be your best self and I know you could be better in these certain areas, right? And being able to give and receive feedback is, is, a, is it's an art. It's true. People get defensive too. And you also have to know the other point is you have to know the person on the other side of that, right? How are they going to take it, right? Are they super defensive? You know, are they emotional? Um, are they going to keep it all bottled inside and not give you their true feedback in return? You bring up a great point and I'll ask you, you know, how is the other person going to take it right and that kind of like bleeds into relationship building mm -hmm. because feedback is not just about okay once a year let's come into my office let me tell you all the shitty things that you have done because i've got no visibility as to what was happening in your life or in this space right i gave you project a you did not do this project b you did not do this project c you did not do this but also we are missing that huge opportunity or gap as leaders, especially from a perspective of leadership, right? As leaders, mm -hmm. are we truly building that relationship? Yes, it's hard to meet 500 people, all 500 people of all of your team. Uh, but isn't feedback like the ability to, to take that feedback or to even understand if that person is willing to assimilate that, isn't that go beyond or deeper as to how well are we truly building those relationships? Yeah, relationships are everything. Um, you know, business, personal, um, fostering those, those human connections so you can really understand people's intentions, understand their mindset, understand where they're coming from, right? And separating, right? It's hard to for managers because we're so protective of, our, of how we think people will perceive us that maybe we don't like to give bad feedback or bad news, and that's only hurting the person on the other side, right? Being able to change it from being about you to being about them. It's deep. And when you really start to unpack this shit, you know, it really, there's so many layers to it. And, and, and these types of conversations are critical for progress. Progress is about everything. So in the spirit of progress, Adam, and I know that you're doing a fantabulous things all in your space. Can you give like three tips for new managers, for new leaders, for existing leaders who want to really <laughs> move that skill and not think about, oh, my shit does not stink. Like really take that step. 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think the first step is is kind of doing a self-awareness and peer feedback on your feedback, right? Have a conversation with peers at your level and see like, what, are you, what have you heard about my feedback, right? Ask them, am I giving good feedback? Because, you know, they, everyone talks shit in an office, right? You hear everything. Um, understanding what that, what that looks like and being open to criticism. I think so many of us are open to criticism. I think a second one is being able to ask for help. Having an HR or a talent acquisition team that either can help with training on feedback or could give you those resources. And there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of pros out there um, who specialize in this space of manager training, leadership training. Um, and I think the third one is, you know, it's radical candor. It really is being able to tell somebody the truth as clearly as possible so they can improve themselves without having that reflect back on you where it's like, I don't want to be the bad guy. Right. Just being able to do that. Yeah. I love that you mentioned about radical candor um, and being able to give that feedback uh, without um, it really hurting that person because sometimes it's so easy for us to, to give feedback in such a way that it defames someone's character. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. So, Lastly, what are some ways that we can objectively approach situations where it does not defame someone's character? It's being mindful of the words, being mindful of the words that you're using, right? Being sensitive, like it's a tough balance because you want to give accurate feedback, accurate, actionable feedback without being defaming, right? Like mm -hmm. how do you not insult somebody? Right. And then like being mindful, like, are you insulting my intelligence? Are you insulting my skill set, my, my, you know, who I am. So it's, it's a tough balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, Adam, thank you again for being awesome in your space and being vulnerable on this episode. And it has been a long journey. When I say a long journey, it has been full of just wins. I look at it as wins. Uh, that you have undergone mindfulness, self-awareness, and truly flipping your script and truly showing people what leadership is about, being vulnerable and flipping every failure into what success truly looks like. And success is just multitudes and it's new ones. So thank you for sharing your heart and your mind today. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate our uh, relationship and, uh, continuing to build and find synergies and just uh, make this space a better place for everybody. Yeah, thank you.